Ladies did a great job with the decorating and appreciate their time and effort they put in this week. Those of you who came out and helped with that, uh, we do appreciate that. It looks nice. I I see a lot of folks uh, wearing some Christmas uh, outfits and kind of, it's that time of year, is it not? Uh, Christmas season and uh, even though, yeah, it's sort of been hijacked because all you see is Santa Claus and reindeer and Christmas trees and all those type things, uh, but we know what it's really about. It's about the birth uh, of our Savior, the time that God came and robed Himself in the flesh. And, uh, of course, we know it's much bigger than His uh, time in that manger. It's the cross that awaited Him. And uh, praise the Lord for the gift He gave. We're going to talk a little bit this morning about that indescribable gift. Before we get there... We're going to take a little journey through uh, the Scriptures and, and uh, talk about a subject that God's been dealing with me about recently. Past several months, uh, I've been reading a couple of books, uh, and I highly recommend if you want to pick these up. One is called Radical. And you're going to probably be hearing a lot more about this little book in the days ahead. Uh, it's, it's really having an impact on my soul And um, anyway, I'm just sort of still prayerfully collecting the thoughts as to what God would have me to say. Uh, It takes a look at the American church. And a lot of what we face today is, even within the church, we've bought into the philosophy of the world, especially the American philosophy. The American philosophy as we know it and understand it, is the American dream. And think about what's behind the philosophy of the American dream. The pursuit of more. Pursuit of comfortableness. Materialism. We don't see it as a God, but it is a God. And it's a very real God in our day. Radical will cause us to flip this church upside down, so to speak. I know it's beginning to do that in my own life. Another book that my wife and I began to read uh, over the vacation break is a book by Ron Blue, and it's called Generous Living. Generous Living. And it's where I actually uh, got today's title from for today's sermon. Uh, Take and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. By the way, everyone should have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, look in front of you. There's a Bible in the pew. No excuse for, uh, uh, unless you just cannot read, um, then no excuse. Even if you can't, just put it on your lap. We'll think you can. Temporarily, anyway. Just uh, put, that on, put that on your lap. Open up 2 Corinthians chapter 9. is going to be our text today. Our sermon is entitled, Generous Living and Giving. Generous Living and Giving. I thought about trying this experiment. I, I heard of a, of a dad who did this once. He gave his, his daughter a dollar bill and a quarter. And he said, here, this is for the offering this morning. You choose which to put into the plate. You can either put the quarter, and if you put the quarter into the plate, you keep the dollar, or you can put the dollar into the plate and keep the quarter. The choice is yours. As your father, I'm giving you both. And it's up to you to decide what to do with it. So, he gives the daughter the 
quarter and the dollar. And after church, the father asked, he said, so what did you decide to do? Did you give the dollar into the offering plate or did you give the quarter into the offering plate? And the little girl said, well, Daddy, I, I had planned to give the dollar into the plate. But then the preacher said that God loves a cheerful giver. And I thought if I put that dollar in the plate, I wasn't going to be real happy. <laughs> and isn't that oftentimes kind of like us? I mean, uh, so anyways, um, today our subject is on living and giving, as Christ would have us to live and give. Let's take a look at the text, chapter 9, verse 1. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting." Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand. When you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not not grudgingly or, or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayers for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Father... Lord, I pray that you would remove all distractions from this room. Lord, I pray that you would allow our hearts and our minds to be focused because this is a time where we can hear from you. Lord, I pray that I would be removed in in the sense that it would be your voice that's heard. I pray that it's your word that is taught. Lord, I pray that it would go forth unhindered, that it would have free course to the hearts uh, of each and every person here. Lord, may we respond in the obedience that will bring you glory. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. A little background information. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 
In 2 Corinthians 9, probably the two most powerful passages uh, in all of the New Testament on giving. If you want to know the biblical instruction on what it means to give, those are the two chapters I would focus on. Now, I don't have to say this, you know this. This is a subject that's probably uh, very difficult. Um, it's not probably about it. It is one of the most difficult, and it shouldn't be, but it is for me as a pastor to teach and preach. And I'll tell you the reason why. All you got to do is flip on your TV and you'll see why this is a hard passage for me to teach. Because if there's any subject in our day in America that's most abused, it's this subject on giving. You look at these pastors, these hucksters, these, these guys on, on TV that are, you know, send me your money and I'll send you a prayer cloth. And they manipulate and they coerce and they, they, they out of different methods, try to get you to give. When you look at the Scriptures... And that's what I hope will will be done today. That we will see why we give. Why we live the way we do. And that that will be done without any form of manipulation. So pray as we go through this message that I am simply conveying to you God's Word. And that you will respond. And, and, And by the way, we oftentimes put our walls up on these messages. Do we not? And so I trust that God will speak... Uh, to us this morning as we look at this subject. There are some characteristics, four characteristics of a Christian's living and giving. These are four areas that should mark our lives as followers of Christ. In lieu of who Christ is, in lieu of what Christ has done. And let me, let me further this picture of, of what's going on in this text before we look at those four characteristics. They're, they're found in chapter 8 as well. But in chapter 8, Paul, he's talking about uh, the, the Macedonians and how they, they gave. Now, you've got to know something about the Macedonians. These are, these are poor people. These are people that are, are, are... They don't have hardly anything to give. And in fact, because of some of the, the struggles and, and things that have gone on there throughout that land, they've been scattered and, and they really have very little in the way of material goods to give. Yet Paul says they gave generously. And he uses them as an example. And, and what you've got to understand, um, if you look at a map, you'll see if some of you have maps in the back of your Bible, you'll see Macedonia is a region, okay? A Roman region. And within that region, you would have churches like Thessalonica. You would have... Um, uh, Philippi would also be up there, Berea. These are some of the churches that are there in the Macedonian region. That's the northern part of Greece. And in the southern part of Greece, you have a separate region called Achaia. You saw that in the text. He alluded to that. In that southern part of of the region, Achaia, you would find find Corinth. That's where the Corinthians were. Now, what do we know about the Corinthians? Corinthians were pretty worldly people, were they not? Uh, they had a lot of those uh, sensual struggles, if you will. They were also very rich in not only um, uh, spiritual gifts, but material gifts as well. A lot of that had to do with their location. Um, 
there's a little stretch of land and, and the two bodies of water would butt up against that. And anyone who was bringing any type of goods into the, those areas surrounding that, instead of sailing around the southern point, they would come to this little, um, it's not a peninsula, what's the word? Uh, thank you, Isthmus. That's right, that's good. Man, Larry, I can always count on you, brother. That's good. Isthmus. And, and, and so they would come to this, and that literally it was easier for them to put their ships up on rollers and roll it across the land, so to speak, to the other side, put it back in the water and move on. And so this would bring them constantly by Corinth, the city of Corinth. And so there was a lot of trade going on, a lot of selling and buying that would happen there. So there were rich people financially, materially. And yet Paul says to them... The Macedonians up north, wow. You want an example, a picture of giving? And isn't that exactly what Christ did? The widow woman, remember? You can imagine all these, these folks that had a lot were putting in big, big numbers in the plate, but here comes this woman, two nickels to rub together. And Jesus says she gave more than any of the rest because she gave out of her livelihood. I mean, this is, this is pretty much what she had. When I think about this, and this is not one of the characteristics, and it should be, um, but as a side note, as, I, as I'm going through this this morning, one of the things that should mark our lives in giving is sacrificial giving. And, and we'll, we'll, you know what, we, we might want to grow that point as we go through this morning. Uh, let's, let's continue on, though. This, this gives you a little background uh, of, of chapter 8. And take time and go back and read through that as we come into chapter 9. And, uh, and let's take a look this morning. What are four characteristics of a Christian's living and giving? We should be living and giving, number one, willingly. Willingly. Look at verses 1 through 4 again. Now concerning the ministering to the saints. Who are the saints, by the way? The Jerusalem church. Now think about this. Where did the church age begin? Jerusalem. Day of Pentecost. The church went forth from there. So here you've got basically a church now in Corinth helping the mother church, so to speak. The saints in Jerusalem were in need of help. And so that's what he's talking about. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous, it's necessary... Uh, for me to write to you. For I know your, underline, willingness. Paul says, I know your willingness. I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians. That Achaia, so he's telling the northern, look, hey, I've been bragging. I've been boasting about you guys up north. Okay? I, I, I've, been, uh, I've been telling the North Carolinians about the South Carolinians. And yet the North Carolinians were the examples to the South Carolinians. That kind of gives you a little perspective of what's going on. He says, I've been boasting about you. I know your willingness. About which I boast to the Macedonians. Achaia was ready a year ago. You see, so this thought's already been talked about. Paul already knows. uh, He was there earlier. And by the way, chapter 8, you'll see he is sending Titus. And two other men ahead to ahead of time to meet with the Corinthians. That's why he's writing this letter. He's sending it with them to carry it to them, to inform them. He says, look, I know a year ago you wanted to take up an offering to help the saints in Jerusalem. I know about that. He says, and your zeal 
has stirred up the majority. Because these people were willing to give, it's caused a a, a chain reaction, if you will. But isn't that true? Have you ever been around somebody who who just they're just they're generous, they're they're kind, they're uh, the way that there's something about that that's contagious, and, and so it, it's caused other saints to be stirred up. Paul says it stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, okay, Titus, these two other guys. I've sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect. That as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. So what's he saying? Paul's saying this. Okay, look, I'm sending Titus a couple other guys ahead of time. But listen, when we come, I want to send them on ahead so you'll be ready. You'll be prepared. I know you wanted to do this a year ago. You've been willing to do this for some time. This is sort of like a reminder because the last thing any of us want is... You know, oh man, the, those those Achaeans down there in Corinth, whew, boy, they they look a year ago. They were pumped when we told them there was you know some need, and they oh yeah, we want to help, we want to help. And so I know they're willing to help. They've already told us they're on board. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna be going there next month. Why don't y'all come with me? So he takes a couple of Macedonians with him. Hey, uh, yeah, we've been hearing about you guys. Yeah, we appreciate it. We're all chipping in helping the Jerusalem saints. I, oh yeah, we don't we don't we don't have anything. <laughs> that was a year ago. We're broke now. You see, they didn't want that happening. He says that would, have, that would be, that'd be bad for everybody. That, that would be to all of our shame because I've been boasting. Have you ever done that though? Have you, have you ever like, you know, really bragged on somebody, bragged about something, boasted on something? Eh, necessarily bad, but, and then you, you get somebody else there to witness it or see it or experience it and it ain't there. Oh, well, uh, you know, the other day they were doing really good at this, but, uh, go ahead, try it again, you know. We do that a lot of times with kids, you know. We put them on the spot. Ah, okay, yeah, they, they used to be good at that. But anyway, come here, let me show you my new deck. <laughs> but anyways, that's, again, a lot of times uh, we can fall into that situation. Paul doesn't want that happening. So he's giving them kind of fair warning. He said, I'm going to give you a little notice. We're, we're coming. Go ahead and just round up the saints. Let them know what's happening. So that if the Macedonians were to come, they wouldn't find us unprepared. Notice... Um, that, so that's the first point, willingly. We as Christians need to be willing. You know, that's where it starts. A lot of people aren't willing to surrender their life to Christ. A lot of people aren't willing to forsake certain things for the cause of Christ. Some of us aren't willing to take up our take up our cross. Some of us aren't willing to give up the pleasures of sin for a season to follow our Lord and Savior. One of the key characteristics of a true follower of Christ, whether it's living or giving, is a willingness. Second point, there's also should be, uh, they should be, uh, we should be living and giving generously. Willingly and generously. Notice verse 5. Verse 5 says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be be ready as a matter of generosity, 
and not as a grudging obligation. You see, one of the key markings of our life should be that of generosity. I don't give because uh, it's the second Sunday I got to give. Ah, uh, grudgingly. Well, I guess if you need this money. No, no. That's not uh, the way that we should be giving. We should be willing to give. We should be generous in our giving. Paul is instructing these believers at Corinth. He says, look, he, he said, this is a matter of generosity, not as a grudging obligation. I know you promised a year ago to do this. And yes, our yeas should be yeas and our nays should be nays. But, but I don't want you to give it out of obligation because that's going to rob you. That's going to rob you of a blessing. Do it to be a, a generous person. This exemplifies who Christ is. And so, one of those key characteristics is generosity. Does that mark your life? Does that mark my life? Are, are we, when people know us, do they know us to be a, a generous, a generous people? And I'm not just talking monetarily. We're talking living and giving. Maybe for some of you, you're generous in how you treat others, in helping others, in needs. For some of you, it, it, it may be. It should manifest itself in both areas. He says in verse 5 that it's a matter of generosity not as grudging obligation. The third point of the four characteristics of Christian living is we should be living and giving cheerfully. Notice verses 6 through 10. Look in your Bible there, verses 6 through 10. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now let me stop right there. Church, I know this passage has been abused. But do not lose sight of this. That is a promise of God. That is a promise of God. God cannot lie. In Malachi, he talks about to the Israelites, put me to the test. Test me in this. See, see if, if I don't open up the windows of heaven and, heaven and pour out blessing upon you that you won't even be able to handle. And I know that there are many preachers and teachers today that will take this passage and they'll preach it and they'll teach it and they'll just, and, and they pervert it. But I do not want you to harden your heart to the fact that this is a promise. And if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Holton gave me a good lesson this past year in, in, in sowing seed. I appreciated that. He came over here, took a track, boy, got that ground ready. And some of you had some of the uh, produce from our increase. Praise the Lord. I appreciate that. The, the, but he, again, he, one of the things he's told me, I, I might have been dropping one or two, you know, one seed here, one seed there. No, no, no. Drop a few down in there. You know, okay. And, and what happens? If you go through there and you're just dropping one or two little seeds, and by the way, it's a lot easier too if we're talking, to, if somebody were, were sowing a grain or something that we'd make bread from, well, I got all this, man, I could just grind this up and have some, have some, some bread here. But no, 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 no. You hold on to it 
You're not going to get a harvest. But if you begin to sow that bountifully and spread it out joyfully, get it all planted, guess what? You're going to bring up some crops. And praise the Lord, we got to see some crops this year, didn't we, Brother Holt? That's good, that's good. Hope to see some more next year, right? But... uh <laughs> But that's good. Look, look, we went through, and, and again, if I would have been, you know, just very sparing, and that's, that is a, that is a promise. That is a law. That's just the way things are. So don't, don't, again, mm, keep it center. Biblical. It is true. It is true. And so, we, we look at this, and, and not only should we be giving willingly, generously, but cheerfully. This is a promise in verse 6. It is a promise. Think about this. Turn with me over to Philippians. Everybody take your Bible. Turn over to Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4. Another great section. You want to see the generosity? By the way, Philippi, this is those Macedonians, the Macedonian believers. Um, Here's an example. Philippi says... In verse 19, And my God shall supply some of your need. Wake up, church, hear this. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. That's another promise. God says, I will meet your needs. You keep me first. You keep me front and center in your life. I will meet your needs. Now our problem, we all struggle with identifying the difference between wants and needs. Do we not? That's what this book, Radical, is all about. This young guy in this book, he is the youngest pastor of one of the largest churches in North America. And before he took this new position, he took six months and went to the underground church in China. He also visited some churches in Indonesia and some other uh, Muslim countries. Now, can you imagine going and seeing the underground church experiencing the lack of supplies and material goods to come back and pastor one of the largest churches in North America. He says he feels about this big when he came home. And he begins, though, to teach and preach the truths of what Christ has called us to be as followers of Him. And what did he tell his disciples? What were some of the, some of the things that marked the lives of the disciples? Well, listen to some of the things. Listen to this on, on the back of his book. What is Jesus worth to you? It's easy for the, for American Christians to forget how Jesus said his followers would actually live. It's easy for us American Christians to forget how Jesus said His followers would actually live, what their new lifestyle would actually look like. They would, He said, leave behind security, leave behind money, leave behind convenience, even family for Him. They would abandon everything for the gospel. 
they would take up their crosses daily. Did that teaching change? Is that still the teaching that Jesus asked of His followers? It is, church. It is. God says that four characteristics of a Christian life is we should, we should be living and giving willingly and generously and cheerfully. It reveals the heart of God. Uh, look over in Matthew. Look in Matthew uh, 19. Matthew 19. And look in verse 29. Here's what Jesus said. He said in verse 29 of Matthew 19, And everyone has left, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now, look, again, I know, one pastor said this, I know Jesus isn't speaking literally here, because He's not telling you you'll get a hundred wives. Okay? Maybe Mormons will use that teaching, but I, no, that's not what He's saying here. But again, going back to the promise of God, He does promise blessing. Obedience always brings blessing, Disobedience always brings chastisement. So, we should be living and giving willingly, generously, cheerfully. Uh, well, who gives? Well, isn't that pastor? You, you taught spiritual gifts. Isn't one of the spiritual gifts giving? I, I don't have that spiritual gift. Therefore, I shouldn't give. Look back in 2 Corinthians uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 again, our, our, our home text. Notice verse 7. Notice what Paul says to the Corinthians. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Hold on a second. Who's to give? Church, who's to give? Everyone. Let each one. Everyone. Can I just stop here for a second? This is where I get in trouble, but it's okay because I I really sense the Lord's leading me here. Everyone is to give. Everyone. You say, well, Pastor, you don't know my circumstances. You're right, I don't. But God does. I'm not telling you what to give, but I am telling you, biblically speaking, we all should honor God by giving. It is a reflection of who He is. God so loved the world that He gave. You can't love without giving. And I'm not speaking just materially. Monetarily. But I know as a follower of Christ, we are called to a life of giving. Period. Let each one give as he purposes. Now, now I'm going to say this, and this is probably where, again, I'm going to ruffle some feathers. Uh, I hope to, Lord willing, in the start of the new year, I will do a message on our faith promise giving. And um, uh, so, so go ahead and be prepared for that, uh, that, that, that Lord willing, will happen. Um, and I may get into the subject of 
tithing, offerings. And let me just say this in a nutshell and sum it up. Uh, There's a lot of people that argue tithing is Old Testament. It's not for the New Testament. Okay? And that is a great argument. But let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Giving's between you and the Lord. I understand that. I know that. The common practice of most of our Baptist churches is they say you give 10%. What you earn, what you take home, you give 10%. That was a taxation. Okay? Um, on Israel. And in fact, in some cases, they may have paid 23% in tax. So maybe then we should, Baptist churches should adopt 23% of your take home is what you get. <laughs> Wouldn't like that one, huh? But everybody's kind of settled on 10%. But I, in, in my, where I'm at right now in my understanding of this is that was under law. And by the way, New Testament, New Testament teaches, render under Caesar that which is Caesar. So we do pay taxes, do we not? Some of you pay a lot more taxes than you'd like, right? So we do practice that, and we should practice that. We don't try to avoid that, church. But we are under grace. We are in the church age. Now, you know what I think this means? Law demands much, but grace demands much more. If the accepted practice was 10%, My philosophy of ministry, based upon what I understand in Scripture, is this. That's a great starting place. That's a great starting place. Look, God owns 100%. He owns it all. It's His. It's His to do what He chooses to do with. He's just placed you in management. You're a steward. And He promises if you manage well, He will entrust you with more management. These are truths. These are principles that are taught. So I don't... And again, that's for another sermon, for another day. If you've got questions on that or problems with that, you can come talk to me. That's fine. But understand the point is this. Whatever you are purposing in your heart to give, bottom line is let each one give as he purposes in his heart. You take that to the Lord in prayer. Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to give? That's between you and God ultimately. And don't do it grudgingly. He says it again, verse 7. Not grudgingly. Not out of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. You know the, the word there means hilarious. He loves a hilarious giver. I mean, some, you know, let's just get silly with it. Now, some people have. I don't know if you've been on uh, our men's website. If you go to the church, you can link through uh, the church website, www.cbclagrange.org. Click on the Christian links. Uh, you'll see Christian men. There's uh, somewhere down through there in the forum, there's a video of, uh, of one church and their way of giving. And if you haven't seen this, it is hilarious. Let me tell you, it's a little embarrassing, actually. 
And some of you know, you've been to uh, some of our, 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 our good brothers and sisters in the Lord. You've been to the black church. In fact, uh, somebody was telling me uh, recently that, that they had visited one and, and talked about how they'll stand up front with buckets. And the music's playing and it's just going and you've got to get up out of your seat and come put the money in the bucket. And, and they even told me if, if, if they didn't like what went in the bucket, they'd point back to it again for you to put more in. Now, I don't know if that's hilarious. I think mean, that's just crazy. But anyway. But I've got this video online, and this one guy, he's coming up, and they would dance their way up to the offering. And one guy, I don't know what kind of spirit he got into, but he was feeling the spirit that morning. And I can guarantee it wasn't the Holy Spirit. But he got to practicing his dance moves. He wanted to show off his dance moves. And he's showing them off all right. He gets to break dancing on the floor. And in fact, he goes to do a back handspring, and he, he almost kicked sister so-and-so in the face when she was coming to bring her offering. And she does like this, and you all see that look. Boy, if, if eyes could kill, she's just like... You know, she just stares him down and throws it in an offering plate and walks off mad. You know, he kept on dancing. Probably not what we're going to do here at CBC. <laughs> okay? Just so you know that. Uh, so no need to go home and practice your dance moves. All right, Daniel? So, uh, but anyways, we, uh, we, we do want to be generous givers. And we do want to be cheerful givers. What's the result? Well, let's, let's take a look. Look, look also uh, in, in verse 8. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Do you see what's going on here? Notice this word, sufficiency. Underline that word. Circle that word in, in your text right there, verse 8. Always having all sufficiency. You know what that word sufficiency translates to? It's the same word that's used over in 1 Timothy. Let me read this to you. This is the same word used in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the same word used for contentment. Paul uses the same word here for contentment. He says that that it's uh, the that in giving uh, we should notice verse eight. He's able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all contentment in all things. There's a lot of alls, Paul, in that passage. In fact, uh, you could read it this way. Can always have all contentment in all things. All means all. You see, God honors His name and He honors His Word. And that if you would practice these characteristics in your life, if we would be a willing giver, and liver, if we would be a generous liver and giver, and if we would be a cheerful liver and giver. i got to be careful using that word close to lunchtime. Some of you are probably thinking some fried liver mush or something. But anyway, no, hopefully not. But you know what? If you would put God first in these things, He says He will. He will make all a grace abound towards you. Godliness with contentment is 
great gain. You notice also there, verse 9, notice what he says, as it is written. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. You know, there's a result here, it's abundance. He says, not only will he give you what you need, he gives abundantly when you sow abundantly. Think about it like this. I wish I had uh, uh, something to illustrate this, but uh, imagine um, you're a cup, okay? And let's, let's imagine that in that cup, um, we pour some water in it from a pitcher. Okay, the problem is, eventually, and let's imagine you've got little other cups around, and you begin to pour out of your cup into these little cups surrounding you. Eventually, you're empty. So we take a little more and pour it in here. And then you begin to do the same practice. Eventually, this pitcher runs out, you run out, they run out, we're empty. And that's the fear of some people. Well, I just can't, I just don't have, I just can't. But can I remind you, we don't have a pitcher. We have a spring life of living water. It's an inexhaustible fund. Christ owns everything. There's a disconnect. Do I believe that or do I not believe that? You see what happens in giving and living generously where the breakdown is? We don't trust God. That's the bottom line. Because if I read my Bible correctly, then I know He is the one who supplies all needs. All of our needs. You say, well, hey, well, brother, I, I work hard for a living and I do this and I do that. And, I, and I'm sure you do. But who gives you the breath you take to do what you do? And could God not in a moment change that in your life? You see, God is the one who supplies. That's what that text says. It says, He has dispersed. He has given His righteousness. Now, may He, verse 10 who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You see, why does God give you so that you'll have more? No. You see, again, that's the backwards thinking of these preachers that preach on TV. Well, you need to give so you can get. No. You need to give so you can give. Did you see the other? He said he'll meet all your needs. He'll give you the supplies so for all good works. You see, when we're living generously, when we're giving generously, God gives us more, not so we can keep it, so we can keep giving it. We become generous in everything we do. And God says, keep it going. Boom, boom. And we're supplying and meeting the needs of saints and other believers and helping and encouraging. And that's the way it should be. You see, God wants to work through his people. He's the one who supplies the seed to sow. He's the one who supplies the bread for food. He wants to supply and, keyword multiply. Think about this example. Remember the little boy with the fishes and the loaves? He was willing. He was generous. He was probably cheerful about, Jesus, I have these fish. I... And what did God do? He took what the boy gave and multiplied it. 
You see, it doesn't matter what you think, what little you think you have. In God's hands, it's mighty and it's much. Does He have the heart? Is there the willingness? That's what it's really about. Fourth and final point, we should be living and giving willingly, generously, cheerfully, and last, liberally. Notice verses 11 through 15. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Why give liberally? What for? Well, these Corinthians believers knew it would help meet the needs of the Jerusalem saints. But not only that. See, that's a shallow understanding. The most important thing, and if you'll go back when you get home and you, and you just really soak in this text, take it in, folks, take it in. I'm going to give you two main things. This is the reason why. Hear what this is really all about. He sums it up. Paul sums it up here in verses 11 through 15. The first, uh, let me just go ahead and give you the two. To glorify God, Glory to God and gratitude to God. Those are the two points. Glory to God and gratitude to God. That's why uh, we should be living and giving this way. Why? What for? Notice this word, verse 13. Look in verse 13, that word um, where it says liberal sharing. You know what that word sharing there is? That word sharing in in the text is the word koinonia. Where have you heard that word before? Koinonia is the word used for fellowship. You see, when we share something in common, we share fellowship. What is our fellowship around? The things of Christ. It's also uh, the word that's used uh, oftentimes um, uh, for communion. So, So think of it this way. Fellowship, share our lives together. Communion, share the remembrance of Christ's work on the cross in the Lord's Supper. And here, liberally sharing, giving of resources so no one is destitute or lacking. And notice what he says it's for. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing. Here's what Paul's saying. Church, if you fell asleep, wake up. We're about done. We're coming down the home stretch. Listen to me now. It's getting exciting. Man, we're in the house of God. We're learning God's Word. How's that boring? Whoo! Better slow down and get Baptist on us. Here's what God's saying. Liberal sharing. Think about it. He's telling us, okay, all right, Paul, he says, you want to know why this, what this is really all about? It's to glorify God. Wednesday nights. Where have you been on Wednesday nights, people? We are doing a great study. Wednesday nights, we sit back here around this table, we put on some coffee, we have some good discussion. We're going through a, a study um, the, called The Blazing Sinners by John Piper. Don't always agree with everything Piper says. I like what Pastor Dean Hightower said. You eat the corn, throw away the cob. I don't, he said, I don't know anybody yet that eats the cob. Okay, well, that's what we'll do Wednesday nights. But I'm going to tell you, that's some good corn. That's some good corn. And it's talking about glorifying God. 
Our purpose in life is to glorify God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. If you have any other focus in your life, we've missed it. Our whole point in being alive is to bring glory to God. And that's what Paul says. He says, when you give Corinthians, it brings glory to God. Because everybody knows your reputation. You're wicked. In fact, when they would do plays... There would always be this character that would come out staggering drunk and he was the one that was the womanizer and he was immoral and they would call him the Corinthian. They had that reputation. But Paul says, no, 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 you see? Because your heart's been converted, now you're changed, you're a new person in Christ through your liberal giving, the people in Jerusalem, the people in Macedonia, the people know, man, they, they are new creatures in Christ. Praise the Lord. They're givers. And, and, and so it, it, he's, that brings glory to God because they say they're being obedient to the gospel. They have been converted. And that's what that's about, to bring glory to God. Also, gratitude to God. Look, look go, go through these verses and just underline uh, the word. Verse 11, you'll see, um, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Notice verse 12. Uh, you'll find... Uh, many thanksgivings to God. And then finally, verse 15. Thanks be to God. You see, church, when we live a generous life, and we give in such a way, you can't help but be thankful to God. And when people see that example in our lives... Let others see your good works and they will glorify your Father in heaven. And it creates within us an attitude of gratitude. Because here's the big picture. When we live and give in a generous way, it's a reflection of who Christ is. Because Christ gave His life He gave His life on a cross for you and me. He left the riches of glory and none of us can understand. Talking about laying down and forsaking riches, God gave up the glorious riches of heaven to enrobe in the flesh of man to give you, to give me eternal life. It's a picture of... It's a picture to others when we live in such a way. Let it be a characteristic of who we are. Generous living and giving should mark every believer's life. His indescribable gift, Paul made up a word there. That word indescribable, prior to this, is nowhere in any Greek writing. Paul couldn't think up a word to describe the indescribable. So he comes up with indescribable. <laughs> That's kind of cool if you think about it. And so, so Paul makes up this word. But, but again, how do, you, how do you articulate this? The indescribable gift, Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
In closing, the Corinthian Christians were asked to give willingly, generously, cheerfully, and liberally. Why? What for? Glory to God. Gratitude to God. Does this characterize your life? Your giving? Here's my challenge. I want to make a practical challenge this week. I want us to do some hilarious stuff. I don't want you dancing up here, but here's what I want you to do. Uh, Even though I I would like to see Lynn do a few ballet moves. That would be interesting. Um, No, I don't. I just changed my mind. (laughs) But, But hear me out. Here's what I want us to do this week. Let's have some fun with this. I want you to be generous to a stranger. I'm going to give you some ideas. Maybe you're in line at Starbucks. Car's behind you. You're in line at McDonald's to drive through. Whatever. You notice a car comes in behind you? You pull up to the window and you say, I want to pay for the order of the vehicle behind me. Now just pray it's not the Duggars. Okay? 20 kids in county. But you know what? If it is, that's all right. That was your lot. <laughs> okay? And do that. Just say, I just want to pay for the, person's, the person behind me. And I would encourage you to do this. You don't have to do this. But I'd encourage you, on your way out, either grab a million-dollar bill track, grab another track, or, or, or a church card, and just say, all I ask is that you just hand them this and tell them have a blessed day. Try it. Maybe you're in a restaurant. Maybe you see a family over here. And you pay on the way out. I want to pay for that family's meal. All I ask is you give them this gospel track. You know, be creative. Come up with some other... I want to hear some of these testimonies. I want you to be joyful and coming back and say, Oh, Pastor, you know what I did this week? I went in and paid. I did this. I, did. I, I mean, it's okay. You know, we'll keep it in-house. It's not to sound the trumpets before everybody and look at us. Hey, look at me. Not that. But I, I, want us to, I want us to be encouraged with this, this lifestyle. You say, well, I don't have monetarily. That's fine. Help a neighbor. Help a stranger. Do something generous to show the love of Christ this week. Let's let our light shine. I think this will be exciting. I think it will be contagious in a good way. Let that be at the forefront of our heart and mindset as we leave even today. God, show me, lead me, help me to do and be a generous person in the way I live and the way I give. Let's pray. Father... Thank you for just uh, how you've been speaking to my heart over the past couple of months. Um, Lord, I know you've been preparing and, and, and challenging uh, me and my household. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to bring that challenge to all of us. Father, help us to be a picture of what it means to be generous. Lord, you, you've told us in your word that uh, in Galatians six ten, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Father, impress upon our heart what you would have us to do in response to this message. And Father, may it uh, be to your glory, because ultimately that's what um, our purpose should be to bring you glory. And Lord, may that produce within us an an attitude of gratitude 
Father, thank you for the time in your word. Thank you for your promises. And Lord, help us to be um, the people you've called us to be. I thank you, Father, for this time. And most importantly, Lord, thank you for that indescribable gift. The gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if there be anyone who is hearing my voice even now, whether it be here in this auditorium or whether it be via the radio, if they have never repented of their sin and received the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ, may they turn from their sin today and call upon Christ to be their Lord and their Savior. May they surrender to Him even now. Change their life as you promised you would. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, there's no doubt many are at a point of of breaking at at wit's end and, and they do not know which way to turn. Lord, let this be the message they need to hear because you desire to give them the ultimate gift, the gift of salvation. May they humble themselves even now and experience your grace and we'll give you the glory and we'll give you the praise. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.